It's what they do have and what they don't have. Grains are a really good, clean source of healthy, complex carbohydrates. That means your risk of cancer is diminished. The things that they don't have, that's just as important, is not a drop of cholesterol. They have virtually no saturated fat. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Muncie, Indiana, Berkeley, California, and Big Gosh, Poland. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 91 of season 5, number 390 overall. Whole grains. You know, they are unquestionably part of a healthy diet, but what exactly are their health benefits, and are you eating enough grains to maximize them? You know, you can get grains from a billion and one different sources, it seems. They can be found in cereal, in pasta, and bread, rice, oatmeal, even popcorn. But which source is going to be your best source? Which packs the most bang for your nutritional buck? Dr. Neil Barnard is here with us today to talk all things grain on the exam room live. He joined me live this week. So we're going to be talking about the healthiest, their benefits, whole grains versus refined grains, multi-grain versus whole grain, the best pastas, even white rice versus brown rice, and ancient grains. Now, a new study shows that while, in fact, we are eating more whole grains than ever, the majority of us here in the U.S. still are not even coming close to getting the recommended amount. So, the question is, how much should you be striving for every day? Dr. Barnard is going to weigh in on that as well. Plus, because it is the exam room live, we opened up the doctor's mailbag, took some questions from the exam roomies, and that meant a little bit of everything came on the plate, including great question about how often you should be eating. Is it three times a day? Should you be eating small, frequent meals throughout the day? Or is fasting the best way to go? We dive into that. And also, we are going to head out to Hollywood, where a major movie star is making waves for stepping away from the screen for a little while after learning that he is at a elevated genetic risk for developing Alzheimer's disease. So Dr. Barnard and I will be talking about Chris Hemsworth's situation and what that might mean for you if you find yourself in his position with double ApoE4 genes. But we do start today with a little bit of love to the folks who are making this episode possible. Today's episode of The Exam Room Live is powered by the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit them online right now at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R, Fund.org. Whole Grains, your health and a fantastic conversation with Dr. Neil Barnard from The Exam Room Live starts right now. My friend, I'm so glad that you are here because there seems to be a whole lot of confusion when it comes to whole grains. 
understood. Uh, they've been maligned. They've been praised. There's all kinds of things to say about grains, and let's see if we can sort it out. Absolutely. Let's start with that big question, and that is how much whole grains should we be getting in our diet every day? Right now, there doesn't even seem to be a consensus. There's not a, exactly a consensus. And the ways that a person can interpret this are all over the map. But there's one thing that really ought to be just said right at the outset. Grains are good for you. The reason I say that is over the past couple of decades, you've seen this, Chuck, we've all seen it. People are getting afraid of grain. They'll say that's carbohydrate. You've got to avoid carbohydrates. And so people end up avoiding these really healthy foods and they end up over the long run at high risk for chronic diseases and they're really struggling with their weight. If they bring the grains back in, they do much better. And if you want just one mental image to carry this forward, think about say a traditional Japanese diet before McDonald's invaded Tokyo, what were they eating? Their primary uh, part of their diet was rice, huge amounts of rice. So all those people who thought uh, grains, that's carbs, that's gonna make you fat. These were the thinnest, longest lived people on the planet. Bottom line, grains are good for you. Okay, so with that said, grains are good. Uh, how much should you actually have? Here, I'm gonna say, I don't think you need to hit uh, a government uh, consensus guideline of say five servings a day or something like that. Uh, the way they'll define it is a serving is maybe a slice of bread, half a cup of oatmeal, uh, a cup of dry cereal, something like that makes sense. Uh, those are portions that, that dietitians will use when they're rating your diet in a research study. I don't think you need to aim for that. What I think is much more sensible is if you are following a plant-based diet, which is what we would always recommend, you want to have grains along with vegetables, fruits, and the legume group, the bean group. And in some ways you can say, I'm going to go kind of grain heavy. That's a, an Asian pattern, macrobiotic pattern. You might say, that's a good thing. But you might discover maybe in the warmer seasons, uh, you're feeling a little more uh, like you'd have some fruit, a little bit lighter. That's perfectly fine too. So bottom line, include grains in your routine. How much is up to you? Don't spare them if you think they're fattening. They are just the opposite, but make sure they're just part of your routine. You mentioned rice a number of times there. I'm, I'm really eager to get to the brown rice versus white rice discussion, but let's go ahead and try to define what a whole grain is, because just as there isn't necessarily a consensus on how much whole grains we should be eating, uh, the the consensus is definitely lacking in terms of defining what a whole grain is. This study that I was talking about at the top, you have different definitions of whole grain from the dietary guidelines that uh, we all follow. The American Journal of Clinical Nutrition also has their own, as does the American Heart Association, the FDA, uh, the Whole Grains Council, uh, even the, uh, boy, I, I hadn't heard about these guys until today, the American Association of Cereal Chemists International also have their own definition of a whole grain. Um, what is Dr. Barnard's definition of what a whole grain is? Uh, I, I feel your pain. You know, the American Board of Whole Grain Definitions hasn't weighed in yet, has it? <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody's got something to say. Okay, so here, here's what a whole grain really means. Here's what it should mean. A grain comes off a plant with a little brown coating on the outside. That's called the bran layer. And to take brown rice and make it white rice, what you do is you mill off that outer layer. Now, the good part of milling it off, and the reason that people have done this, is that 
the bran layer has a little bit of natural oil, not much, but just a very slight trace of oil, that if it sits on your shelf for several months, that oil will start to go a little bit rancid. And so your grain will kind of spoil. So people figured out a long time ago, if you just mill that off, then the shelf life is longer. And then some people sort of acquired the taste for white rice. It's a little softer. But I would suggest you leave that whole grain as a whole grain. So the definition is if it's, if it's got that uh, brand coating on it, uh, it's going to be a whole grain. Now, to get into the weeds a little bit more, they don't just remove the uh, brand coating. They also remove the germ. That's the little baby plant that was trying to grow inside. To make white rice, they remove all that. And that's true for the, all the other grains when they mill them as well. And then sometimes they'll do something a little tricky. Uh, you might take an oat uh, and you leave the oat intact. You don't remove the outer bran, but they'll cut it up. Uh, they'll take old fashioned oats, which are just a whole oat that's flattened. So it cooks uh, faster than one that was not flattened. Uh, or they'll take it and turn it into minute oats where it's still a whole grain, but they've cut it into maybe uh, a, a one grain will turn into three chunks or then they'll powder it inst instant. It may still be a whole grain because the bran is there, but it's been all sort of pulverized and that will affect the digestion. You'll digest it uh, a little bit too quickly if it's been pulverized that way. Uh, going back to the rice, does white rice get a bad rap though? I know you were you were just talking about there's a process that it goes through to strip off the, the outer husk, but is that something that we should be shying away from necessarily? Um, it's always better to choose brown rice than white rice. However, you're out with friends, you're at the local Hunan restaurant, and the only rice they have is white rice. Eat it. It baits the heck off the chicken wings or the other things that might be on the menu. So rice is good for you. If it's brown rice, it's extra good because it's got the it's got the fiber in it. And and, and I wouldn't worry too much about it because you're gonna get fiber from other foods too. So let's say you have the steamed broccoli and all the other foods. Um and you happen to have white rice on the side, the fiber is gonna come from the other foods. Brown rice is better, white rice is still okay. All right, so I'm assuming that brown rice then would probably wind up on a list of best sources for whole grains. What are some other foods that could be on there that we might wanna look at? Well, you know, there are so many different grains and some of them are things that we don't think about as grains. Uh, but rice, of course, top of the list, you can't beat it, very, very healthy. But even rice, go to the store, you will see there's long grain, there's short grain rice. Personally, I choose the short grain. Why? Because when I uh, cook the rice, it has a little bit of a, almost a nutty flavor, a nutty texture that is, is not so much there with the longer grain. And then you'll see all different, many different uh, variations on this. And then there is wild rice, botanically actually different from the true rices, but it's a tasty thing to mix in as well. And then there's, you don't think of corn as a grain, when I was a kid, we thought that's a vegetable. Well, corn is a grain uh, and it's a good thing to include. So in Asia, their traditional grain might be rice, but in Latin America, it's corn, healthy and great. Now the gluten containing grains, three in particular, there's wheat, barley, rye, perfectly healthy and fine. The reason that they have been used over time is that the proteins in the wheat grain they'll stretch, they're a little rubbery. So that means you mix up the yeast and so forth in your bread dough and it rises. It, it, the the, the gluten-containing products are delightful to eat. 
The negative part and the reason that people have been concerned about gluten is celiac disease. That's a sensitivity to gluten and it means you cannot have gluten at all. You're gonna get sick. It could be really serious. That's less than 1% of the population. So the other 99% of the population can eat gluten containing grains and enjoy them. No problem. It's, it's just, it's, it's like if you are allergic to a strawberry, nothing wrong with a strawberry, but you can't have it because you're allergic. Um, I will say one more thing. Uh, there are some people who aren't really allergic or uh, sensitive to gluten grains. They don't have celiac disease, but for some reason they feel better when they avoid gluten. And if that's you, fine. When I say feel better, I mean two things. Uh, you feel better mentally. You just think clearer when you don't have gluten. Uh, and there are some people who say, I digest better when I don't have gluten or some other thing. So if you've got some symptoms and avoiding gluten helps you, perfectly fine to avoid it. But I would say the vast majority of people don't need to avoid the gluten-containing grains at all. And then for extra credit, you'll see many others. You know, you, obviously you already know about quinoa and you'll see amaranth and lots of others. Explore them. Have fun with them. Um, going back to the gluten really quickly, um, just, uh, you know, hypothetical opinion here. Some of that, could it be if somebody doesn't fall into that 1% where they have an actual sensitivity to it, a lot of that, could that be kind of like a, a psychosomatic subliminal type of effect because we hear so much about gluten and when you take that out of your diet, you're supposed to feel better. So maybe you just kind of trick your brain into saying, well, hey, I took gluten out, so I do feel better. That's a possibility. Um, also, I would say that some of the gluten-free products are kind of cool. There's a gluten, <laughs> I mean, there's a gluten-free pizza that came on the market, very, very popular. And it's a rice-based crust. And who, who would have thought it? A rice-based crust tastes good. So fine, have at it. Uh, but if, if on the other hand, you're at a pizzeria and you've got a gluten-containing crust, that's probably okay too. I will say one other thing though. Um, extra, extra credit here. Uh, there are some folks Let's say you took an antibiotic or something else disrupted your digestive tract so that you've now temporarily got a leaky gut. What that means is um, the, antibiotic, the antibiotic that you took caused your, your digestive microbes to be gone. And now your gut will start to admit things into your bloodstream that it wouldn't have admitted otherwise. Suddenly, a person is reacting to all kinds of proteins, gluten. They have something with gluten in it and they break out in a rash. They say, wait a minute, I've never had any problems with gluten before. You wouldn't, but the antibiotic made your gut really porous. So now the gluten protein is getting in and causing a problem. And a little bit down the road when your gut reconstitutes itself and is a little more selective, you'll discover that the gluten gets digested properly and you don't have the problem anymore. Yeah, that's science, my friend. Look mm -hmm. at you dropping that knowledge on us today. Um, you, you, you will, you will see this in, in, in some folks. If you have friends who you have an antibiotic or something like that, and you'll notice that things are a little quirky uh, in the weeks that follow. You know what? We've gotten about oh, 13 minutes into our discussion. We haven't really done a dive yet into the health benefits of whole grains. So uh, before we open up the doctor's mailbag, kind of broaden our discussion here a little bit. Talk to us about some of those health benefits. I believe that we hear a lot, even on advertising, about how they're extremely heart healthy. Yeah. Well, it's what they do have and what they don't have. Um, what they do have is they've got good, clean, whole, uh, the whole grain is good, clean, complex carbs. Complex carbs means that your digestive tract takes that long carbohydrate molecule, snips it apart into individual glucose molecules. 
that go into your muscles and are stored as glycogen, and that's your spare batteries for your next marathon. So grains are a really good, clean source of healthy, complex carbohydrates. They, they also bring the fiber that we've been talking about. What does the fiber do? It keeps your digestion uh, running fine. So, you know, you're not going down to the, the pharmacy to get uh, laxatives and stuff like that. The, the grains will take care of that for you. Um, and as your digestive tract gets cleaned out more regularly, that means your risk of cancer is diminished as well. That's all the good stuff. The things that they don't have, that's just as important, is not a drop of cholesterol in a, in a whole grain or any kind of grain. They have virtually no saturated fat, uh, so they don't have all the bad things that are in the animal products, for example. All right, let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag here, answer your questions. Again, if there's something that you would like to ask Dr. Barnard, post that in the comments or in the chat. We're going to get to as many as we can here on the program today. Uh, let's start with a question from Monica, who was wondering whether multigrain is the same as whole grain when you see that on packaging. Uh, multigrain means they mix more than one kind. So the wheat is in there, the barley is in there. They might have thrown in some quinoa for extra credit. So no, it's, uh, they're typically, they typically are whole grains, but multigrain means they use more than one kind. All right. We talk a lot about sticking with the whole version of things. Sam is kind of looking at it in a different light, wondering whether refined grains can still be healthy because they have nutrients that have been added back to them. Well, yes. Uh, short answer is, as I was mentioning earlier, that refined grains are okay. They're not as good as, as, as the whole grains because the fiber has been removed, uh, but I wouldn't avoid them entirely. And what you said is exactly right. What they have done is they, uh, you'll see the word enriched. And that typically means what they've done is they've thrown in some iron, they've thrown in some B vitamins. And, and you know about this from folic acid. Uh, women who are gonna be pregnant need folic acid in their diet. So there's been a push for a long time uh, to make sure that women are getting plenty of folic acid and enriched grains are part of that. And they'll add other B vitamins uh, as well. So uh, the enriched grains are a source of iron. They're a source of B vitamins and, and uh, the, all that healthy complex carbs are still there too. I want to do a quick hello to some of the exam roomies who are hanging out with us here in the chat today. I want to say hi to Rolando. I want to say hi to Nancy and Mark. Sharon is tuning in today from the island of Jamaica. That's pretty cool. And Takari is watching all the way from Malaysia. That's man, I love the global impact. I say it every week. I absolutely love the global impact of this show. It is Me so too. cool. Wonderful to see. Uh, all right. Swift here. Uh, is whole wheat pasta healthier than white pasta in your opinion? Um, in theory, yes, because it has the fiber with it. But I do have one concern here. Some of the whole wheat pastas that because the fiber is still there, the fiber holds water and it makes the pasta mushy. And the problem is you are cooking for a junior high school cafeteria and the kids come in and you're having whole grain pasta because you think it's healthy for the kids and in theory it is, but they say, you know, this doesn't taste as good as what my mom makes. And you end up throwing out a whole, you know, a vat of the, of the whole grain pasta. So that's a problem with it is, is finding one that, that will cook well and that kids will really eat. If they won't eat it, frankly, you're, you're, you're fine using regular pasta because the fiber will come with the toppings and the other foods that you're having it with. You're not gonna serve cheese and meat on top. You're gonna have chunky vegetables and beans and that kind of thing, and the fiber will come in there. Howard, follow up to that. What about chickpea or other types of pasta? What is your opinion on those? Uh, let's ride the roller coaster together. I gotta say, um, the, you know, <laughs> 10 years ago, you just didn't see these things, but now you're seeing them and, and it's fine. Buy them, uh, cook them up and see what you think. 
ride the roller coaster together. Woo woo, the grain roller coaster, man. <laughs> uh, Helen, are ancient grains overhyped? Yes, but everything is, and and, and this doesn't. Uh, so many food products are, and they, and they sound wonderful. But but the, but the fact of the matter is, they are worth exploring, because there's a lot of good products that people have forgotten about, uh, for price reasons or distribution reasons, and it's good to give them a try. All right, uh, let's go ahead and grab somebody who's watching right now on YouTube. Authentic Living at twelve oh eight is quinoa something that we should be eating every day. Uh, you don't have to have it every day, but it's good to get to know quinoa. When I was a kid growing up in Fargo, North Dakota, you know, I would have seen that word and I would have said, I would have said quinoa. What is that stuff? <laughs> um, this is a South American staple, and it's good for uh, it's good for people to know about it. It's really uh, easy to prepare. It's quick. It's clean, and it's got great nutritional advantages. So, yeah, quinoa it it, it justifies the hype. Uh, let's see here. Ann Thomas, uh, Ann says that she loves oatmeal at 1210. I love oatmeal. Is it okay for me to eat that every day? Like many times if, uh, many, I guess basically Ann's a huge oatmeal fan. Can she eat it more than once every day? As every much day. as you want. Absolutely. Oatmeal is a whole grain. You know, you don't see the, the, the brand stripped off. It's a whole grain and, and oats, uh, a little bit more than, than say wheat or other grains. It's rich in this nice mixture of soluble fiber. That's what makes the oatmeal kind of a little mushier, um, as well as insoluble fiber. And that soluble fiber has a special effect of lowering your cholesterol. Not huge, but a few percent uh, will be trimmed off your cholesterol. So you have oats. You can have oats as often as you want. All right. No firm definition on how many whole grains we should be eating every day. We kind of talked about that a little bit at the top. Stephanie, though, is going for kind of a ballpark idea at 1206. She says, hey, everyone, I'm vegan, whole food, plant-based. I'm wondering if I eat my oats, my quinoa, my couscous, and barley concoction, which is about two-thirds of a cup per day. Should that be enough to meet the whole grain minimum? What do you think about that? The whole grain minimum and probably a blue ribbon too. Absolutely. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that is fine. You've got plenty of whole grains. Yes, exactly. Stop counting. The blue ribbon for whole grains, man. That'll be at the county fair next summer. Um, okay. Let's see here. Oh, this is a great question from Lemon. Going back to rice. We get this one a lot and it's good to keep this conversation going. Um, Lemon is wondering about the arsenic content that is found in rice. There are a lot of people who are concerned about that. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, arsenic is something that's in the soil, and it depends on what was on that soil before it was used for agriculture. You know, industrial things and uh, arsenicals have been used in chicken feed as a deworming agent. So there's arsenic left in the soil, and a person then makes a rice patty there, and the arsenic can get in the rice. Um, the concern is that arsenic is a carcinogen. Uh, the good news is that the amount in rice is rather modest. Uh, and secondly, when people have done studies of rice consumers versus non-rice consumers, you don't see any increased risk of cancer. So the problem is only a theoretical one. It doesn't seem to, to work out in reality, luckily. Um, the cleanest brands are um, ones that aren't grown in the southern US, which is kind of where the, where the arsenic came in in, the, in a big way. So the California brands are good and the ones from overseas are pretty good. Uh, the other thing also um, is let's, if you um, are washing the, the grain in advance, if you're soaking them a little bit um, and then discard that water, that will pull some of the arsenic out as well. 
I want to also share a message from Lemon, uh, who's watching today in Northern California, says, this channel gives me so much motivation to take great care of myself. That's awesome. That's what this is absolutely all about, giving you that information so you can raise your health IQ and apply it to your own health. And then hopefully, bonus points, that blue ribbon, Dr. Barnard, you were just talking about then, paying forward what you have learned and helping to inspire and educate others along the way as well. So that's awesome. Lemon, thank you for watching. Um, let's take a question from Melanie. We were wondering, uh, somebody was wondering a little bit ago about oatmeal and can you eat a ton of that? They absolutely adored it. Melanie apparently has a great affinity for sourdough bread, wondering whether whole wheat sourdough bread is something that she can eat as much as she wants. Yeah, perfectly fine. Uh, what really matters the most is what goes on it. You take that sourdough bread and if you toast it and then slather it with butter, you have eliminated all the benefit. Um, if you're having it with an otherwise healthy diet, it's perfectly fine. It, a lot of people say that there are special extra benefit that comes with sourdough bread compared to others. Um, what can you tell us about that? Is sourdough the blue, I'm just going to use the term again, the blue ribbon bread? I, to tell you the truth, I think it's more, to, in my own view of the world, it's more um, folksy because sourdough is something our grandparents might have made. And so it has a nice image. The health benefits, I don't think, are particularly different from other breads. It is tasty, though, isn't it? I mean, that's just a good piece of sourdough bread, man. You bet. Go to town. Uh, here's an interesting question from Gina, 1224. Um, do most of the grains have a similar mineral and vitamin content? Or is it kind of like we should apply the same principles of eat the rainbow so you're getting a wide variety, like that big nutrient profile? Ah, what a great question. There's really two issues here. One is if it's enriched or not enriched. The enriched ones have iron added. Now, you probably don't need iron added, depending on who you are and, and what else you're eating. You're probably getting iron from other sources. So I, for one, am kind of cheerleading for not adding iron to so many things. Uh, but if it's enriched, you'll get more iron. The other piece of this is where was it grown? Certain things that are grown on, say, selenium-rich soil. Every plant that grows out of that soil has got more selenium in it. Uh, here's the problem. You don't know where your grains were grown. So you don't have any idea if it was selenium rich soil or aluminum rich soil or whatever. And so what that argues for is just what you said in the question. Is it maybe a good idea to eat a varied diet from lots of sources? And the answer is yes, because that way you're really hedging your bets and you're getting uh, good nutrition all around. Another global check-in. Ken right now is tuned in from South Africa. Amazing. Love it. Please tell my good friend Charles Gelleman I said hi. Um, Jeff Watson, are rolled oats okay? We have a lot of different forms of oats that are on store shelves. Are rolled oats close to the top of the list of ones that you want to buy? Absolutely. Rolled oats, it takes the whole oat and they just, they roll over it. They smash it like with a, you know, like a steamroller. That makes it flat. That makes it easier and quicker to cook. And yet you're getting the whole grain and you're getting it, it cooks up in just a couple of minutes. All right. Uh, here we go. Jake Durant, 1228, uh, wants to talk about GMOs and wheat. So he says, is the GMO or modern wheat, which seems to be in the majority of the U.S., a concern? What do you think about that? Look at the package. If the package is organic by law, it cannot be GMO. Now, you might have to go to a special store for that, um, but you will see it. By law, anything that is labeled organic cannot be GMO. That said, I'm not too, I don't support GMO. I think it's a mistake. I don't think, I don't think we should have genetic modifications, but we have not actually seen any serious health risk from the GMO grains. But if you want to avoid them, always buy organic. 
Okay, uh, let's go ahead and broaden our discussion here today. We've done about almost 30 minutes here on wheat. Uh, if you still have some um, more questions about whole grains, go ahead, post those in the comments or the chat. We'll circle back to get to as many as we can. But we have a lot of other things that we want to touch on here today. Um, Alonso was wondering about this new study that came out showing that people who use less table salt have a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. They're wondering how big of a problem is table salt when it comes to a person's health? You don't want to overdo it with sodium. That's a good point. But I have to say that the salt that is added at the table is really small compared to the salt that's added at the factory before it came to your table. So if you look at the salt content of, of canned foods in particular, um, it's often high. If it's cheese, it's off the scale. So you, hopefully you're not eating cheese at all. Um, but the amount that's used either in the faculty, uh, factory or in the recipe on the stove is usually pretty high compared to the amount that you might add just to the surface of the, the product as, you, as you're eating it. The other thing that ought to be said is that salt, there's a benefit of salt that you might not have thought about. You do need a little bit of sodium in your diet every day. And the kind of old fashioned um, iodized salt brings you iodine. Your thyroid is really glad for that. So that's one reason to include the iodized salt in modest amounts uh, in, the, in your cooking or at the table. Let's take this question from Reagan, who sent this to me on Instagram, at Chuck Carroll WLC, wondering about meal frequency. What is the healthiest option? Is it to eat three meals a day? Is it to eat frequent small meals? Or is fasting the way to go? 20 years ago, there was a lot of popularity of frequent small meals. People called it grazing. You're going to have a little bit here and there. It did not really pan out. So what people are now exploring more is uh, larger meals, but only one or two a day. And there, there does seem to be some benefit for doing that. On the other hand, if everything that you're eating is healthy and you're not eating animal products, you're keeping oils pretty low, you can eat in kind of whatever pattern you wish to, and you'll discover that your weight doesn't, doesn't go up. Um, even if you're eating a little bit more here or there. Um, Michael Gerard, 1232, going back to the grain thing. Uh, we were talking about the heart health that comes with grains. That's a huge thing when it comes to a lot of breakfast cereals, Cheerios in particular. So Michael is wondering whether they are as heart healthy as advertised or when you see, not just with Cheerios, but any sort of label like that, should it be viewed with a little bit of skepticism? How should we interpret those types of messages? Food marketing in general should be viewed with a huge, big chunk of skepticism. Um, that said, uh, the benefit of, of Cheerios or other oats, the oat, as, as we were describing earlier, does lower cholesterol. So the good news is they do lower cholesterol and that box of Cheerios doesn't have any cholesterol in it, doesn't have any animal fat in it, that's good. The, the caution though is that the cholesterol lowering effect, while real, and it's, it's not your imagination, it's true, it's small. Um, so if a person eats uh, an, oat uh, an oatmeal breakfast or a Cheerios breakfast or something like that, and they have some bacon on the side, let me tell you something, <laughs> you are completely undoing any benefit of the oats. The cholesterol lowering effect of, of oats is just a few percent, maybe three, 4%, something like that. All right. Quick check-in from an exam roomie by the name of Kim. This one came in at 1234. Dates back to a show that we did last month where we were talking about soy and hot flashes. And Kim, huge success story here, says, I'm whole food, plant-based, eat all the soy, uh, eat all soy things, but soybeans have cut her hot flashes by 
90%. And that is directly in line with a lot of the things that we've been talking about here on the show. That's because of the research that we've been doing in-house at the Physicians Committee. How great is that, Dr. Barnard? That's got to be so fulfilling. Uh, you know, this has been such a partnership between um, our, our viewers, uh, our members, and us here at PCRM. Uh, some of you may remember, this This is all kind of new. Uh, when my book, Your Body and Balance, came out in 2020, just as the pandemic was starting, there was a chapter in there about menopause. And Betty, uh, Betty McEwen, uh, who's one of our members, called up and said, I put your message to work and my hot flashes disappeared within a few days. And when Betty told me this, I found myself thinking that was her result was actually stronger than I had predicted. So I asked her to tell me what she did. She said, well, I read your body in balance and you said that if you avoid animal products and you keep oils really low and you have soybeans every day, your hot flashes ought to do better. But what I wrote, to tell you the truth, was a little vague. So I asked her to be specific. She said, zero animal products, really don't add oils to anything. And she got um, some Laura brand soybeans, which she cooked in her Instant Pot for 40 minutes and uh, had a half a cup of them every day. Okay, I hang up the phone. I ran into Dr. Kaliova's office and I said, we are gonna do a randomized clinical trial of Betty's diet. And so we did, we rounded up 84 women who all had hot flashes. And what we found is that doing exactly what Betty said, reduced the moderate to severe hot flashes by 88%. Um, so it really works. So vegan alone is good. Low fat alone is good. Uh, soy alone is good. I mean, it reduces the risk of breast cancer. But that combination, for some reason, is the bazooka that knocks out the hot flashes. So, so if you're doing just one or two of those things, let's say you're vegan, but you're not low in fat and you're not having the soy, you think, I don't know, this isn't really so hot. Um, it's good to be vegan. But if you got hot flashes, add the other two pieces of it and see if your hot flashes don't disappear. But by the way, just to be to be clear, we're not talking about a small effect here. This is about in the same ballpark as what hormone replacement therapy would do. But instead of hormone replacement therapy's risks, you got benefit. You know, you're going to lose weight and be healthier. It's all upside. 90%. Yeah. As yeah. my grandma would say, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Um, that's amazing stuff. Um Let's take two more on grains, and then I want to take a trip. We'll wrap up uh, out in Hollywood, where a major movie star is making big headlines, uh, opening up about his health, even putting his career on pause thanks to some health concerns. I want to talk to you about that. But first, um, let's take a question from Marsha. This one came in at 1232. Marsha is wondering whether there seems to be an association between eating grains and gaining weight. Uh, only if you're putting butter on your grains or gravy on. <laughs> uh, no, I'm serious. There, there are people who will have some rice and put gravy on the top uh, or butter in it or something like that or or the pork chop next to it. That's where the weight gain comes, comes from, not from the grain itself. And lemon 1232, are whole grains less likely to cause a blood sugar spike? Yeah, yeah, they are typically. Um, because that fiber that is what makes them whole is going to slow down the absorption of the sugar just a little bit. Um, the difference is not huge. So even whole grains can cause your blood sugar to go up a little bit, but the more natural they are, the less likely they are to cause a blood sugar spike. 
All right, now let's take a trip out to Hollywood and wrap things up where a major movie star is really pushing pause on his career after discovering that uh, he has a big time genetic risk for Alzheimer's disease. If we can go ahead and pull this up here on the screen, actor Chris Hemsworth, you may know him from the Thor series, among other things. Um, it was discovered during an interview with Vanity Fair that he has two copies of the ApoE4 gene. And so he discovered this, Dr. Barnard, while he was getting blood work done for an upcoming docu-series that he was going to be doing for Disney Plus. And he became so concerned. He was like, hey, I'm going to take some time here and figure all of this out. Um, I guess my question to you is this. How concerned should we be if we have the two copies of the ApoE4 gene? And how much control do we still have to lower our risk if we find ourselves in that position like actor Chris Hemsworth? This is important stuff. Um, we should be concerned, but that concern should lead to action. Here's what you need to know. Um, you got genes from your mom, you got genes from your dad. You can get the ApoE4 allele from one parent. If you do, your risk of Alzheimer's is tripled compared to people who don't have it at all. If you got it from both parents, which is what you were just reporting, your risk can be as much as 10 times higher, maybe even more than that. So your risk of Alzheimer's compared to people who don't have those genes is much, much higher. Um, you can't change your genes. You can't change who your parents were. Um, but there was a Scandinavian study a number of years ago that looked at people. They were 50 years old when they started the study. They tracked them for the next couple of decades. And they noticed that people who avoided saturated fat, saturated fat, that's the, the, the bad fat, the solid fat that's in meat and, and even more so in dairy, uh, the people who tended to avoid that fat had much less risk of developing Alzheimer's. Then a sub-study, here's, here's the key, the sub-study within that study looked specifically at those people who had the ApoE4 allele. And what they found was that even for those people, their risk of developing old age memory problems was cut by about 80%, um, apparently with that change. Here's the point. You can't change your genetics, but what you can do is eat like you are at risk. And that means avoid the animal products completely. If you avoid animal products, you avoid the biggest sources of saturated fat. If you also avoid coconut and palm oil, you're avoiding another major source of saturated fat. And th the reason that matters, we learned 20 years ago that saturated fats, those solid fats are a big Alzheimer's driver. Get them out of your diet. And then you can do other things too. You can include vitamin E rich foods. That's talking like a little bit of nuts, maybe just one, you don't need a lot, an ounce of nuts or seeds each day. Lots of vegetables, lots of fruits, uh, avoid metals like iron and copper in excess and lace up your sneakers. You know that Chris Hemsworth is doing this already, but physical exercise about a brisk walk three times a week has been shown in older folks to reduce the risk of Alzheimer's or, or, or uh, reduce the risk of memory problems and also to even uh, undo some of the shrinkage of the hippocampus, which is the, the memory center. So put all these things together it will not change your genes, but it will dramatically change your risk according to the best research that we have.
Now, I don't know anything about Chris's diet. I don't know what he does to prepare to get all kinds of beefy for the roles like Thor. Um, but I would imagine that there are some extreme lengths that a lot of people have to go to to get that kind of physique um, pretty quickly. Um, so when it comes to really kind of shocking the system and probably... I would imagine, and just spitballing here again, I do not know, but let's say that he turns to a high protein, low carb diet then to get the physique that he's looking for so he can look the way that he needs to on camera. Um, what does that do in terms of a person's risk? If a person follows a typical kind of bodybuilder, um, not very healthy sort of diet, they're putting their body at terrible risk. Um, which is why you see terrible cardiovascular disease in a lot of these people and whatever's bad for the heart is bad for the brain. Now, you can bulk up on a healthy vegan diet. There are plenty of people who do that. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting this because what you're, what you're doing is a cosmetic thing that you're doing to fulfill a movie contract. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the health of your brain or your heart or your, even your athletic performance, to, to tell you the honest truth. Um, so, but, but if a person does want to do that and if they've bought into bodybuilding is sort of 30% science and 70% mythology, but if they buy into the mythology, they need to eat a phenomenal amount of protein and so forth. Uh, you can get that from plant sources and you've heard of bodybuilders who are doing exactly that. And then if they want to cut the subcutaneous fat layer, you can do that with diet too. So you, you could do this in a healthier way. And that's what counts because you don't want to be doing something uh, for a short-term gain that ends up um, compromising your risk over the longer term. And here's a question that I'm wondering, Chris is 39 and I'm wondering, you know, is that already too late in life to really reduce a person's risk? Has the damage already been done? Have the seeds already been planted that would trigger those genes to activate and really keep that Alzheimer's risk as high as possible? Or at 39, 49, 59, if we implement those changes you were talking about, leading that healthier life, eating the healthier diet, can we still bring down that risk? Okay, 39 is only halfway through adolescence. Um, let's, <laughs> seriously, um, it is by no means too late. When people have done these studies of, of folks who have even the beginnings of memory problems, they've got a little bit of mild cognitive impairment, meaning they're having trouble with words. These people are 65, 70 mid, or, or, or later. They're enrolled in a clinical trial. And what they'll do is they'll get them lacing up their sneakers. And then they'll, they'll do a brain scanning before and after. And you show the hippocampus uh, that has been shrinking is now not shrinking anymore. In fact, it's it's uh, that shrinkage is reversing. You do cognitive tests and you find that their performance is better. I'm talking about people who are already way up in years and have been damaging their their arteries and their brain for decade after decade after decade. To a, to a degree, this is is indeed reversible. There were studies at the University of Cincinnati where they brought in people for just three month tests. And in this case, these particular tests were with anthocyanins. That's what makes uh, grapes purple or blueberries uh, purple. These are very powerful antioxidants. 12-week trial, three-month trial. One cup of uh, ordinary grape juice or blueberry juice in the morning, another cup at night. Three months later, you could see notable improvements in memory testing. So at 39, yes, you've probably done a lot of damage. American teenagers destroy their their. Uh, coronary arteries as much as possible during adolescence and during their college years and so forth. To some extent that is reversible. Dean Ornish showed it does not 
matter how old you are, you can reverse that disease. But whatever age you are now, now is the time to treat your body like it's a fragile thing because it is. If you smoke, throw it away. If you're drinking, be really careful about that. Keep it to a minimum and put the healthiest darn fuel in your body. Treat your body like it's your BMW. You know, you want to put the very best fuel in the tank, something that's clean and that keeps that motor running for as long as possible. I can dig it. Your body, the Beamer. Put put that good fuel in there, man. I love it so much. Um, before we close up the doctor's mailbag, a special ask for the roomies. Tracy O'Connell at 1239 uh, says that she's new to eating a healthier diet and is wondering what might be a good idea to put something on rice if you're not putting butter or gravy on there. So what do you top your rice with? So if you could help Tracy out, she's on Facebook right now. Go ahead and post up some suggestions there. Let's help her out. I think that that would be fantastic. Um, Dr. Barnard, thank you so much for your wisdom as always. This has been absolutely great. That was a great conversation about Chris Hemsworth. And I know just reading the comments in the chat, a lot of people got hope and inspiration from what it was that you were saying there. They don't feel so doomed as they once did. So um, thank you as always for your advice, my friend. Absolutely fantastic. Let me let me just share a personal note. Um, my mother's father uh, was a physician in a little Iowa town and he died at age 62 after having become a little bit demented and then he died of cardiovascular death. And when I was a kid of three, four, five years of age, uh, they explained to me that grandpa died because he was old. And then I started to realize that, wait a minute, 62 is not exactly my definition of old at the moment. You got a lot of living to do after that. But when I started to see dementia in other family members and in, in friends and so forth, I started to realize that that's the condition that is number one on my list of things I don't want to have. And when I wrote Power Foods for the Brain back years ago, the idea was to give people things that they could do to reduce the risk in their own lives. So the bad news is these diseases are problems. The good news is research has given us solutions to it. So plug it in. And the most important thing, everything you learn here on the exam room live, everything you learn from, from, from all the work that Chuck has done bringing guests into this program, don't keep any of that information a secret. Let me ask you, the, the viewers of this program, Take what you know here, share it. Share it with people you love, share it with people at work, share it with uh, people on your blog, whatever it is you're doing, share that information. Let's inspire some people and hopefully save some lives. And we couldn't be doing all of this work to get that inspiration, that knowledge out into the world without our good friends at the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund, who are powering today's episode of The Exam Room Live. Because what the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund does is they support organizations just like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. So a lot of good there. And you can visit them online right now at GregoryWriterFund.org. That's Gregory Writer, spelled R-E-I-T-E-R, fund.org. As always, Allison Mahoney and everyone there, thank you guys so very much for your continued support. We absolutely could not do the show without you. Thank you so very much, Dr. Barnard. Again, just a tip in here. I know that you feel the exact same way. Greg had such a wonderful heart for animals. Allison is carrying that forward beautifully. And Dr. Barnard, I greatly appreciate your time as always, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. Been a great show.
Be sure to join us live every Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Physicians Committee's YouTube channel and Facebook page. That is when we do the exam room live. That is the best chance that you have to ask Dr. Barnard and our experts your questions in real time. So set a reminder, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and there's a link to both our YouTube and Facebook pages in the episode notes. And I will tell you that today's show, I felt like it was one of the best that we have done in such a long time. We had so many exam roomies joining us live, asking great questions, and even helping each other out. Lots of help, like what to put on top of your rice. I had someone asking about that. They were new to eating a plant-based diet. And in case you were curious, some of the comments that came in even after the show, beans seem to be the top choice. And really, it's hard to go wrong with the classic, isn't it? But someone also said salsa is a good option. And I'll have to try that one kind of as a standalone. I've done rice and salsa with a burrito bowl style thing, but just rice and salsa? I haven't done that. I'd be curious to see. Personally, I'm a veggie guy. When it comes to what to put on top of rice, I love throwing steamed veggies on there or some that I've whipped up in a water saute with just the right seasonings. That's really good. And sometimes I keep it super, super, super simple with just some steamed spinach and broccoli, no added spices whatsoever. And then a little sweet potato on top of that too. That really hits the spot for me. So good. I mean, how do you top your rice? You the simple kind of person or do you like to do it a little bit more gourmet? Send me your thoughts. Twitter, Instagram, at Chuck Carroll, WLC. But I want to say thank you to everyone for giving their suggestions this week. Really kind of fun to know what everybody's eating, isn't it? And man, you know, speaking of the show, I mean, it really was a really good show. I remember I told my wife and father-in-law right after we went off of the air that I felt like it was the best that we had done in years, maybe the best ever. It just seemed like everything clicked and the roomies who joined us live, they were right there in the thick of it the whole way, chiming in, asking their questions, learning right alongside of us. Really great show. Really, really, really fun. So thank you all so very much for being part of it. And thank you to you listening right now. And the podcast also a big part of the exam room live. So thank you so very much for being here. And as we're giving out thank yous, I also want to say thank you to everyone who helped out as part of our Giving Tuesday event this year. All of your donations were automatically doubled thanks to the generosity of one anonymous donor who said, whatever gets donated on Giving Tuesday, we will match. And so that meant that if you pledged $20, it would automatically become $40. 50 became 100 and so on. So we did a lot of amazing, amazing fundraising. And that is all thanks to you. So thank you so much for your support. And if you did not have the opportunity to join us for Giving Tuesday, have no fear. More opportunities coming before the end of the year to help us make the world a healthier place. We need your help to make that happen. So stay tuned. More opportunities coming very soon. And Dr. Neil Barnard, he will be back on the exam room live next week 
So start thinking about your questions. Now, here on the podcast, the next episode, I will be joined by a former colleague of mine with an extraordinary story. This is someone who I worked with when I was still a reporter for the local CBS News radio affiliate here in Washington, D.C. And she has just finished writing a book that her father began to write as he was battling cancer. Now, this was many years ago that he started writing this. I mean, many, many years ago at this point. And initially, when he was diagnosed, he was given really not a lot of time, just a matter of weeks. But what this gentleman wound up doing is living for years. He lived for years with an ultra-aggressive form of cancer, and he wrote this book during his battle to document the experience and what he learned along the way. And so what my friend did was she finished the book many, many, many years later. And a big part of what her father credits to his longevity and outliving the expectations was cleaning up his diet. She said that was a big part of why he was able to do what he did, why he had the amount of time that he did. That was his big philosophy, his big belief. So we're going to be getting into that story next episode here on the podcast. Very moving. So I'm very much looking forward to having Jamie Blanco on the show to talk about the book and her dad's incredible journey. But for this journey and for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here and helping to raise our health IQs as we learned all about whole grains. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.